Hello and welcome to the State News Sports Roundtable. I am your host as always, Eli McCowan. Today I am joined by the State News' football reporters, Jared Ramsey and Sam Sklar. Boys, how are we doing today? Doing well. Um, you know, it's a cold, rainy day here in East Lansing, but honestly, it kind of excites me because it's starting to feel like fall a little bit, and that's my favorite time of the year. Yeah, I'm doing well too. The weather isn't my favorite. I'm not with Sam there, but... Um... I mean, I like uh, the temperature is not bad, but the rain I could definitely uh, uh, not do. It's definitely different than uh, this past weekend when we were in Miami. <laughs> I, you know, I was incredibly jealous, but also happy that I was in the air conditioning instead of being you guys in Miami because that looked hot, that looked miserable in parts. But I mean, once you guys were in the press box, you guys were chilling though. Yeah, when we were doing the tailgating story, we were both sweat, sweating through our shirts pretty good. But once we got in the press box, it was all good. Yeah, well, it was brutal. I mean, I remember when we walked around the stadium and we got finally got into the press box, which was hard for us to find where the media entrance was. My shirt was just, like, wet. It was, it was bad. I hated it. Way too hot. Way too humid for me. Never a good feeling to have the shirt wet. Never a good feeling. Well, speaking of Miami, we're going to go over that game. Michigan State traveled down to Coral Gables into Hard Rock Stadium. They took down the Hurricanes 38-17 to in honor of Fetty Wap, 17-38. I guess this was a game that was, as time went on, you know, you go before the season started, you looked ahead on the schedule, you saw that on on there, and you're like, this feels like a game, like, that's not winnable. And then I felt like as time went on, you could kind of convince yourself more and more as you watch Miami and you watch Michigan state go into this one. And then we ended up seeing the result as the fourth quarter kind of made the scoreline a bit wider than I think the game kind of was. Um, but Jared, I'll swing it to you. Just some, some of your general thoughts on uh, Saturday's game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The scoreline was definitely um, exaggerated a little bit. It was a lot closer for the first three quarters. I think it was a really good, Example of the coaching staff making adjustments mid-game, which is a good sign for Coach Tucker because in his staff, because this is the first like challenge they've had right out of the gates this season where they've had to go off the script a little bit, and not do what they originally planned, and not just dominate from the first snap. So I think that was a good sign. Um, Kenneth Walker was a stud once again. He is been a stud, and I think he'll continue to be a stud. But yeah. It was and it was a good game and I think it was a win that MSU needed um to kind of show that this is for real. Yeah, I mean, and the whole week kind of leading up to it, people were always saying or, or talking about how this Miami game would serve as a measuring stick for what this Michigan State team is potentially capable of, and they they won obviously, so it it serves that. I think that Michigan State is, or at least they look to be kind of for real through three games. Um, it's a little interesting on Miami's perspective because they had very high expectations coming into the season. And I think that now those have been dampened a little bit. Um, so in terms of quality of opponent that people thought Miami would be, it might not be as tough looking back at it now. But there were a lot of really good things from that game that I think that Michigan State fans and the, and the coaches and players can take away and, and build into what is now, you know, this, pretty much the stretch of, of Big Ten games. 
I would also point out, I think my biggest thing about this game, and I remember texting it to you guys during the game, was that at first I was very confused by the defensive game plan heading into this one where we were seeing the wide receivers get a lot of room um, and getting, you know, just like underneath routes. It was just a lot of curl routes, a lot of things like that, where the players were just getting open. The wide Miami's wide receivers were getting open. They were gaining yards. Their offense was moving downfield. And at first for me, I really didn't understand that. But then as time went on, it continued to just make more sense and more sense and more sense. As you watch Derek King kind of as drives went on, things would kind of just stall out on whether it would be dumb penalties on Miami's end, a Derek King turnover. I believe on the day total, I think they had four turnovers. I think by the yeah, time King they had, had four. Yeah, and I, I think that's was my biggest takeaway is I think a lot of people during the game, if you looked at social media and things like that, people were wondering why are they giving them so much space? Why is there so much um, room given here? And it seemed very apparent though, as the time as the game went on, that Scotty Hazleton had a really good defensive game plan. This one, if you can hold the Eric King, I mean, granted he has the ACL injury from a year ago, but this is a guy who's one of the most electric guys in college football in terms of what he can do with his legs and what he's been able to do at Miami at Houston prior. And I thought they had an amazing game plan going into this one. And again, I also think that literally Michigan State on just in terms of turnovers has made the biggest change I've seen in terms of anything not turning the ball over once this year is a really big accomplishment really at the end of the day outside of maybe have they had one did was there one time that Joyner we fumbled against Northwestern when he got knocked out right right that's right so there has been a fumble but that was a there's not been any like turnovers of consequence yeah I guess is the biggest the biggest takeaway from that it's just there hasn't been those killer ones like we saw against Rutgers a year ago where there were seven of them or things like that that's been my biggest takeaway so far about that but um, next, we'll talk about just the biggest surprise of this team so far. I mean, this team's 3-0. They've taken down a Big Ten opponent in Northwestern, traveling to Evanston. Um, they knocked a um, Youngstown State team. They thumped them. And then they go into Miami and come out with a win as well. And now they're going to be entering kind of the home, you know, their, the meat and potatoes of the schedule here. So, Sam, I'll start with you. What has kind of been the biggest surprise for you for this team so far? Uh, well, I think it starts with the offense. I mean, Kenneth Walker so far is the face of what Michigan State has been through three games. And there were very high expectations for him coming as a transfer from Wake Forest this year. But, I mean, the, to perform on the level that he has to three games, I know, like, the stats weren't that great against uh, Youngstown State the second game of the year, but he didn't really have many carries. And I think the game plan was for him to kind of rest and let, let the other guys sort of um, get touches on the ball. But he, he's just been an absolute star and really has come on. And some people, maybe from a biased Michigan State fans that I've heard around the community in East Lansing saying a potential Heisman Trophy candidate. And, I mean, it's, it's early, but he's really been that great of a player for MSU, a great transfer pickup for Mel Tucker. And then also when you go to the quarterback position with Peyton Thorne, we wouldn't even think he or know if he was going to be the starter week one, if it'd be him or Anthony Russo. Thorne gets the, gets the job against Northwestern, and he hasn't had to make a whole lot of plays, but he has been stable. He's been consistent. He has not turned the ball over, which has been huge for Michigan State. He had four touchdowns, I believe, last week, and 
I mean, he's been everything that they've had to ask for him. He's been a perfect game manager, has made throws when they've had to, which has not been very often. And I think, you know, they scored 38 points week one, 42 week two, and 38 last week. If you would have said that before the season that Michigan State would be scoring that many points in three games, I don't think anybody would have believed you based off of the last few years that we've seen from Michigan State offenses, which have been extremely lackluster and pretty boring to watch. Yeah, I I completely agree with Sam um, that the offense by far and away has been the biggest surprise. Um, it's been a pain to watch the Michigan State offense in, in some of the past years. Um, and it's just good to see a team finally just be competent, be able to move the ball and put points on the board and give the defense a little bit of, br- of a break, which has been a huge problem in recent years. And, um, I mean, they're not quite at the level of, the record-setting 2015 team that um, holds most of the school records, but they're pretty darn close. And it's really impressive what offensive coordinator Jay Johnson and the players have done in just one year from going from the bottom of the barrel to back to the um, top of the Big Ten through three games. So I think that's really been a surprise. But another thing I would say is the special teams has been a big – Step Coglin hasn't been the best. He's missed a few kicks. He missed one in um, Miami as well. But he hasn't been bad. He hasn't killed MSU yet. And he's shown before that he can make kicks in big games. So he's not really an issue. Bryce Berenger has been great. Their coverage has been great. They have starters like Ronald Williams, former starters like Elijah Collins out there on kicking punt coverage. And so it's just nice to see that the guys are buying in and going out all out on all three phases when that really hasn't been the case in past years. I think it's really easy sometimes too to, you know, last year, I think we heard Tucker say that a lot where he always talked about three phases, three phases, you know, offense, defense, special teams. It's really easy to kind of look at that as coach speak at times and just kind of get like lost in it a little bit. And, but you can start to see now that this isn't necessarily just a coach speak thing, that there really is an emphasis on special teams. You're starting to see some guys who go out. Like a lot of times you'll see guys who go out, uh, coaches, I mean, that'll um, throw out their, their second, third string on special teams, you know, to do coverage and stuff like that. And that, and obviously that's still going on, but we've seen guys like Jaden Reed go, you know, taking kicks back Jalen Naylor. Um, we've seen guys who are starting go out and play on special teams and make plays and you can see there's a real emphasis there. Um, so def- definitely agree with you there, Jared. I-, I would also say the other thing when we're talking about Kenneth Walker, and I-, I watched a little bit after the game, the next game that came on after Michigan State-Miami as I was editing stories was um, Florida State-Wake Forest. I-, I am just mind blown. And I and obviously we don't know all the details, but how Wake Forest, the place that has had issues I would say during the um, this current era at Wake Forest, one of their biggest issues, they've had a very good defense and some good quarterback play too, but the skill players haven't been there. I don't understand how you get let a guy like Kenneth Walker go. And again, we don't know any details there, but that makes there's a I have a lot of questions about that one. That one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know how you get Kenneth Walker in your room and not immediately see that he is one of the most talented talented dudes in there because what he's doing on the field this year is just crazy so far. And not to mention, I mean, this was a guy who was productive last year. 
he had, I believe, 13 touchdowns last year at Wake Forest. And, and he had big plays and he had multiple 100-yard games. I mean, this was not a guy who wasn't producing there that all of a sudden got here. I mean, as soon as he came on for spring practice, you could see that. You could see that. And sometimes during spring ball, it's a little bit easy to kind of fall in love with somebody and get a little bit like excited. And I, and I sat there and I was like, maybe we need to calm our expectations down a little bit after seeing it, but he's blown away and he's grown since that spring game. I mean, he's just looked phenomenal. I would say my biggest surprise though, in general has been the offensive line. And I started talking myself into it this spring after watching the spring game, our our, my previous other football reporter and Joe Dandron, who I worked with last year, I remember texting him at one point during the spring game and say, saying, I'm talking myself into this offensive line for next year. And I'm like, I know that's not a good thing considering what they've been the last few years. But when you looked at the amount of starts they had, the guys they brought in and Jarrett Horst, some of these young guys like J.D. Duplain, Nick Samak, and just the depth that they have, it was sitting there going like, there's no reason that under Chris Kapolovic, who's had success just about everywhere he's been with offensive lines, there's no reason that they shouldn't take a step this year. And they've taken a step and some, and they haven't been perfect. But again, it's just been a huge improvement based on what they've done in the last few years, in my opinion. They've been, they've been among one of the worst units in football for the last few years, and they've become, in my opinion, I would say an above-average offensive line in what we've seen so far from them. I, I don't think that's a stretch at all so far this season. And from what we've seen, especially against a good Miami front seven. No, I don't think that's a stretch. I think the adjustments have been really good up front too. Like they were kind of getting dominated early against Miami and they started changing like slide protections and stuff like that. Started running the ball outside instead of in and kind of just changed the angles and the offensive line made do and Kenneth Walker and Thorne excelled in the second half yeah i think that Peyton thorne has also got to give him a little bit credit too for when the pocket has kind of collapsed he's done a pretty good job of extending plays and using his legs to you know either you know run forward and, and gain a couple of yards or you know slide out to the sides and make a throw down the field so i, I think a, a couple a little bit of credit also has to go to him. Let's move on to some weaknesses on this team because we've had a lot of positivity around this program for the last few weeks. So we got to nitpick a little bit right now. So I'll go ahead and start with a weakness in my opinion. And I think I'll start with the obvious one here. I do want to, I'm going to do something a little bit different when I talk about this weakness. And that, I'm going to start with the secondary. And I think that's the obvious one we're all going to touch on a little bit. Um, I think that there's some good players in the secondary. I think when you look at Xavier Henderson, Michael Dowell, um, Angelo Gross from the beginning has been very good. I think those three have been very solid all year long. Um, but I do think as you start going down the depth chart after that, things start getting thinner, um, where guys are still, you can see they're still working themselves in some of these transfers. Um, you can still see some just development things happening with some of the younger guys. Um, and I think a lot of it has been game plan. I think there was kind of a similar thing going on with North, the Northwestern game where they were kind of daring. A lot of it in the Northwestern game was really daring Hunter Johnson to beat beat him because it was like, we don't think Hunter Johnson can beat us and we're going to keep everything kind of in front of us and see what kind of happens. And he did get him on a couple of deep balls too um, during the game, which was kind of surprising. I wasn't expecting that from Hunter Johnson, but I am interested to see as we go further in the season when they play teams like an Ohio State or a Penn State team that looks drastically improved from a year ago um, and what they've done in the passing game. Um, 
I'm very ex- interested in seeing how the secondary kind of grows from here because it does feel like that's probably the weakness of this team where I think the offense is solid. I think they are going to be at least an average type of offense in the front and, you know, the defensive line for them and the linebackers have been solid, even though I have some questions about depth at linebacker too, if there are injuries, but I think the secondary is there has some issues, but Jared, I'll toss it to you on kind of your thoughts. Yeah, I think that's, I think the secondary is probably the biggest thing that stood out so far. Um, I'm going to kind of say a different angle though. Um, something that jumped up from the Youngstown state game was the run, the like secondary run level on um, like linebackers and safeties. They were kind of taking bad angles on um, Crenshaw, Youngstown state's quarterback. And I really think this week specifically with Adrian Martinez coming to Spartan Stadium, I think they could get burned a little bit on that because Angelo Gross, um, Quiveris Crouch, Cal Halliday, they all they were they were good in, in the game, but there was also lapses where they could get beat outside. And I think a more consistent um, running quarterback like Martinez could could cook them on the outside, honestly. And um, <clears throat> so that could really be an issue. Um, and it's, I was, I was trying, while you were talking, I was like, all right, Eli's talking about the secondary. I got to try to think of something on the offense, but I really can't nitpick anything on the offense besides the start, the first quarter of the Miami game. They've been good other besides then. Yeah. I mean, you guys nailed it. I, I think the secondary is the easy choice, like Eli mentioned. And I mean, when you're three and oh, and have won all of your games by double digits. It's kind of hard to point out multiple glaring weaknesses from this team. Um, you know, if you like force me to pick one, another one that wasn't really the secondary or on the defense, I guess you could say tight end. Just, but that might just be because Payne Thorne just doesn't really throw to the tight ends all that often. They've got Tyler Hunt and Connor Hayward converting from running back to tight end as the main kind of two guys. But I mean, Connor Hayward has looked pretty freaking solid you know, making some really good blocks, especially in that Northwestern game. And he has throughout the season in the last two games as well. And same with Tyler Hunt. He made a few pretty big catches. I believe they were particularly in the first half against Miami. I think he had like two or three of them were like in a row and got him a couple of first downs. So, you know, I, I, I guess that's something that, that, that could be improved upon and may show to be a weakness potentially later on. But I think for right now, things are looking good for the most part, on, on from a whole roster standpoint. Is it just me, or has Tyler Hunt also gotten bigger? He looks so much bigger oh, this year. That's the big theme of the Michigan State beat this week is nutrition and training. He must have been in with Coach Novak and Coach um, Reinstein on the good nutrition program. I just I, – I feel like last year, and maybe it was a little bit different – like in person, but like, I felt like, like when I'm sitting there watching these games, I see Tyler Hunt pop up and I'm like, this guy looks a lot bigger, like on television. And then when I was watching the game, I felt like he was undersized at the tight position, but I look at him now and I don't think that, but here we are. So next we'll do, where do we think the first loss comes from for this Michigan state team? And Sam, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you figure that one out first. Yeah, so just looking at the schedule here, they've got obviously Nebraska this week, then Western Kentucky, who I think, you know, those should be two wins, both games at home. 
Rutgers on the road that follows that, which, you know, you can't take Rutgers lightly after what happened last year with Michigan state, seven turnovers in the season opener. Um, but I, I do think that they'll be able to beat Rutgers on the road. Um, I think the first loss of the year will be October 16th at Indiana. Um, Indiana's one and two, so I'm not, we're not necessarily sure how good of a team they were. You know, last year they were very good with Michael Penix before he, he went down. And, um, you know, they've got Ty Freifogel, a fantastic wide receiver, and a bunch of other guys. But the reason why I do think that this is going to be their first loss is their next game for Michigan State is against Michigan. Obviously, it's a big game circled on the calendar every single year. And sometimes I think that players or coaches can start to think ahead before they think of the opponent that is right facing in front of them. And so I think that this Indiana game, even though it is two weeks before Michigan, because they, they've got a bye week in between, I think it could be a potential trap game for them. And so, you know, there is, it's, it hasn't been perfect, but it, Michigan State has looked very good through three games. But I think at some point we're going to see them start to struggle just because that's how football works. And I, I think that Michigan or that Indiana game could be their first loss. I, I was – um, I'm kind of thinking along the same line, Sam. I was thinking Indiana. And it's tough um, having back-to-back trophy games with the old brass platoon against Indiana and the Paul Bunyan against Michigan. It's a lot to handle. Um, and it's kind of hard for me to say. I can't say that they're going to lose to Michigan just out of respect for myself. And then I, it's hard to say that MSU is going to be 10-0 going into Ohio State in the second to last week of of the season it's hard to say that um, they're going to jump from two wins to 10 wins without a loss so i'm going to have to say indiana as well i'll quickly go here uh i'm going to say rutgers and i know i know that's going to be one that i'm going to probably maybe end up regretting but I, i actually don't think i will on this one I, I do before the year. I was kind of my thought was Mel Tucker is going to really emphasize that game because that having seven turnovers, I, I feel like that's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. But this Greg Schiano team is very well coached and they have looked very good this season. I'm I'm in on Greg Schiano. I think he's going to do a great job at Rutgers. I think that this is a game where maybe they if things are going well, I do feel like at some point Peyton Thorne's going to be forced to make plays and. I personally, we're going to get into this quickly in a minute about Nebraska, um, but I don't think Nebraska is really going to force him to make that play yet. I don't believe in Nebraska and Western Kentucky, as much as I've been talking up in the office about the Houston Baptist offense coming to Western Kentucky, there's, I don't see that being an issue, but I think Rutgers is a game where you have to travel to New Jersey and it's kind of just one of those weird games. I think it's going to be a noon game or maybe it hasn't been scheduled yet. I think I'm not It is noon. That's a sleepy atmosphere. I feel like you can get caught sleeping as you all of a sudden that Indiana begins, you know, the last half of the schedule that can get that is very daunting with Indiana, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. I think that gets daunting towards the end. With that, though, we'll transition into Nebraska quickly here. And I just want to go over quickly your guys' thoughts on the matchup and a quick prediction before we jump into our quick little picks for the weekend. Jared, we'll start with you, your thoughts on this game and a prediction. Well, I thought Nebraska was just dead in the water after week one, losing to Illinois. It wasn't good. 
and um, kind of had a bounce back game against Oklahoma this week and probably could have won if their kicker didn't have a meltdown and miss a bunch of kicks. Sam and I were actually pointing out the score to each other in the press box because they had it on during the MSU game, but we didn't get to watch, obviously. Adrian Martinez is obviously really good. He's thrown for 1,000 yards already, had 100 yards two times this season. He's he's a good dual quarterback. He'll be a good test for MSU secondary that has struggled. But outside of him, I don't really see the talent. So I'm going to lean MSU by multiple scores. Wow, multiple scores. You know, I I don't think that it'll be multiple score game. I believe Michigan State is like a five-point favorite, I want to say, right now. At, at one point, it was three. And I was going to point that out as one of my picks. And then I saw it uh, today. It was up to five, if not five and a half in some places. Okay, yeah. Um. So I just talked with uh, Landon Wirt, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, who is a student at Nebraska. He, he covers the team for the Daily Nebraskan, kind of similar to what we do. And he's kind of mentioned to me that, or talked a good amount about how this Nebraska team just feels a little bit different, even though they're, they've, they've lost two games. But they were very competitive against Oklahoma, which is surprising. They're going into a very hostile environment as a, uh, you know, like I think they're like 20 point underdogs or something like that. So I think this this Nebraska defense has been a little bit surprising, especially on the defensive line. They've been able to make quarterbacks uncomfortable. Spencer Rattler for Oklahoma did not really look like himself, and he's regarded as one of the best quarterbacks in the country right now. So I, I do think this game is going to be a little bit closer. He predicted that it'd be 21 to 20 Michigan State. I think that Michigan State will cover. I think it'll be more so like 27 21 Michigan State I'm gonna I'm gonna just come out and say it you know the big 12s in shambles right now obviously I mean they're you know they're on the comeback they're on the comeback here but like I I don't believe fully in this Nebraska team after watching them in that Illinois game and I've not and I caught parts of the Oklahoma Nebraska game as well but I've watched two Oklahoma games this year I I in last year I had issues with Spencer Rattler as a quarterback I'm still seeing a lot of those same issues now in terms of the decision-making and things like that right now that give me concern. I'm not a huge believer in Oklahoma this year, and I was before the year, but now watching them, I have a lot of concerns about defensively for them, and I have concerns with Spencer Rattler. Not that I don't think this Oklahoma team could still not make the playoff this year, and I think they're a very good team, and I was impressed by Nebraska's performance. But I think that Nebraska – Adrian Martinez is the ultimate, you don't know what you're going to get from him because he has games where he he's perfect and he's phenomenal. And then he has games like the Illinois game where you cannot trust him and he turns the ball over multiple times. I think Michigan State's going to be able to game plan and be able to make him uncomfortable and make him make mistakes that helps Michigan State just to be able to run the ball and be able to dominate this game, in my opinion. I just don't see Nebraska being able to have a ton of success offensively and I think defensively, the way Kenneth Walker's playing, I just think that they're going to be able to keep Miami off balance or Nebraska off balance. And I think they win this game by multiple scores, as Jared mentioned. But we shall see. We shall see. So to wrap up here, we have a couple quick picks for the week for you before to let you, uh, you know, let you think about a little bit. I, I'll be honest. I'm really excited about these. I'm going to go ahead and start. The first one I have 
here is uh, I have Arkansas. They play Texas A&M this week, 3.30. Probably the – I think they are the only – they're one of two ranked matchups this week. Arkansas is minus five and a half. Not only do I like them to cover, I like them to beat Texas A&M this week. They have a lot of – Texas A&M has an ongoing quarterback issue. They have one of their quarterbacks go down. They have another guy stepping up. Both of them have looked okay. The offense has not looked there. Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher have not made that next try to make this offense more tempo-based, more efficient, more modern. It just hasn't happened yet. Even though I love this defense for Texas A&M, K.J. Jefferson, it looks very good for them. And I think they're unique enough offensively to make some plays. And I just like what they're going to be able to do. I like Texas A&M to lose this game. I like Arkansas to at least cover. I wouldn't. You, I would even be comfortable taking the money line this week. So drinking the Arkansas Kool Aid, I love it. I like Sam Pitt. You know, not a fan of Sam Pittman hire at first, but he has been nothing short of phenomenal so far. So I'm going to ride the train. My first pick. I feel like it's a lock. I When I saw this line, I was just shocked, dumbfounded. It is Louisville minus one and a half against Florida State. I don't know how it's only one and a half. Florida State has looked like the worst power five team in the country so far this year. And Louisville looked decent against UCF. They won that game. I'm not sure how good UCF is. Um, especially now that Gabriel Davis is hurt. But this is more of Florida State being really bad than Louisville being good. So I, I'm just going to – Louisville minus one and a half feels like free money. Malik Cunningham's also very – I like him for Louisville too, for their QB. He's, he's, he's a difference maker. So I'm going to stick into the Big Ten here. With my first pick, I'm going to go with Iowa. Minus 23 and a half points, I believe. Are they, are they playing South Dakota State, I think? No, That's a big line. I have it written down right. It's Colorado State. They're playing Colorado State. Okay, yes. And Colorado State lost to South Dakota State. That's why I had it mixed up. Colorado State lost to South Dakota State. And so I don't think – and South Dakota State. I mean, I, the South Dakota State, I don't think they're a very good team. One of my, one of my buddies who I actually uh, graduated high school with is a backup quarterback on South Dakota State who's gotten into a few games this year. And I think that just Iowa at home against a lower-level team is just going to blow the doors off of them. I think they'll win by 30. Some inside info there. We love it. I'm going to be honest, though. I I still – I like Iowa this year. I have him ranked highly in my student media poll top 25. I still have a lot of concerns about Spencer Petras. He still scares me. I've not been able to watch Iowa yet, though, so I'll, I'll, hold, my, I'll hold my thing on that. Just a disclaimer, too. I'm not – I have not – I'm not a big college football better. So t- if you're going to tail me, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> That's fair. My next one, I need to go with this. I got to double check the uh, line on this. Actually, I don't think I took the line. I think I also took money line. I have Boston College over Missouri this week, and I'm all in on Boston College this year. Prior prior to the Phil Dracovic injury, I thought that they were the second best team in the ACC heading into the season over North Carolina, over Miami before the season. Boston College sustains some injuries. They're not going to be the team they thought they were. But Jeff Halfley has done such a good job there in just a couple years there. They have looked very good. Defensively, they're fantastic. They've made strides offensively to be more modern. And they're playing Missouri. And Missouri, while I like what Elijah Drinkowitz is doing there right now, and I actually had them pegged as a really good team this year, and I was really looking forward to this matchup, they've struggled so far this season. They did not look good against what a not good Central Michigan team. Central Michigan's not that great this year, and they struggled. I mean, they pulled out a win. They they f- had to fight in that one. Um, it's at Boston College, I believe. Even though they're going to be starting a backup QB, I like them this week. I like it. You're 
I mean, you've been preaching BC since before the season started, so it, it seems only fitting that the first pod you pick them. Of course. Oh, my second pick, I wanted to pick a big game, so I'm going back to the Big Ten, Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Um, I'm taking the under in that game. The line's at 46 and a half. Um, Graham Mertz has not been the guy that Wisconsin has pegged him up to be. Wisconsin fans think he is. And so I think he's going to struggle against um, Notre Dame defense that is really, really, really good. One of the best secondaries in the country. And then Notre Dame, while they look decent against Florida State, their offensive line looked bad. And I think Wisconsin has a good defensive front. They might be able to get to um, former Wisconsin man Jack Cohn back there. It's a little bit of a revenge game. So I was thinking about Notre Dame spread just because Cohn's back. I'm just going to ride with the under. I think it's going to be an ugly game. Uh, Yeah, I could definitely see that being an ugly game. I was close, though, to – go on the opposite of you and taking Wisconsin just because in my disastrous betting history of college football in the past, I have bet against Wisconsin and it has never worked out for me. So I, I, I did look into that game and I was thinking Wisconsin, but I, I do think that under is, is a good pick for my final pick. I am going with, I love this pick by the way, Bowling green plus 31 points on the road in Minnesota. Now, hear me out. Hear me out. This so, is a Minnesota man. This is a Minnesota man pointing this out. I'm betting against Minnesota here. So in the last two, two, uh, well, two years, I guess you can say, not including 2020, when there were no non-conference games. So you go back to 2019, uh, Minnesota played three non-conference games against South Dakota State, Fresno State, and Georgia Southern. And all of those games, all three of those games were one-possession games, including a Fresno state game that went into double overtime and the South Dakota state game, they won on a touchdown with only a few minutes remaining in the game. Then this year, Minnesota played Miami, Ohio, and they're up pretty big and then let them back in and it ended up not covering. I think that it was, they won by five, I want to say in that game. And so I think that PJ flex teams have struggled against non-conference opponents. They tend to, uh, play down to their opponents. And I, I made this decision earlier today that I was going to go with Bowling Green plus 31. <laughs> but then about an hour before we started this podcast, I saw an article from someone I know who writes for the Gophers. He's also a student. And he wrote an article with the headline saying, is Bowling Green one of the worst teams in the FBS? <laughs> like seriously questioning it. And I, I honestly don't really know much about Bowling Green. But I just think 31 points is a ton of points. I think Minnesota will maybe win by like 20 or something, but 31 just seems like way too many. I love this pick. EDSU, though, I will agree, is probably one of the worst teams in college football. As (laughs) someone who lives close to them, I've only heard bad things. So, But I I do like it in terms of there is a history of P.J. Fleck teams playing down to their opponent. So – and this isn't just like a once or twice thing. This seems like every non-conference game where they play a low FBS or high FCS school, it just feels like this is what they do. Exactly. Uh, 31 points is so much. I just, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Here for it. 
Well, that'll do it for us here on the State News Sports Roundtable. I want to thank Jared and Sam for coming on the show. We'll catch you guys next week to break down the results between Michigan State and Nebraska. Hopefully, we'll see if our predictions come true, whether it's multiple scores, one score, or Nebraska and Adrian Martinez shock all three of us. We will see. But we will catch you guys next week. Thank you, boys.